Weather warnings are the bread and butter of weather communication, but is it possible to have too many weather warnings? Can there be too much of a good thing? There was a talk about severe thunderstorm warnings, and just kind of randomly, I, I brought up the fact that I thought that there were too many warnings for storms that didn't really end up doing much of anything. You just heard from broadcast meteorologist Joe Loria from Fox 4 in Kansas City, who had a hunch that too many severe thunderstorm warnings were affecting his customers. But I just kind of thought to myself, it just seemed to me that there were so many warnings and I felt that people had become numb. To explore his hunch, Joe started looking into the total number of severe thunderstorm warnings issued and the consequences of this overwarning. Uh, I'm kind of very sensitive to the overwarning stuff. I think tornado warnings still have um, cachet. I think if a person hears of a tornado warning, they're still likely to take action. But I think if a person here, especially in this part of the country, hears a severe thunderstorm warning, they're most likely to not do much of anything. And that's what I wanted to explore. Currently, the National Weather Service issues severe thunderstorm warnings based solely on meteorological criteria, such as 58 mile per hour winds and or one inch hail. But where did this meteorological criteria come from? And should we be moving toward a system that is more impact based? Joe has some suggestions for overcoming this overwarning on this episode of Weather Hype, a podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. It's Castle, and I'm flying solo today because Min is living it up in Iceland. But don't worry, because I'm here holding down the fort. So stick around, because we have a great conversation with Joe Loria coming up next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five day forecast By the time they hear me I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I storm when I get gone I get gone and I don't need anyone to know better Welcome to the show, Joe. We're so glad that you're able to join us. Yeah, looking forward to uh, talking about thunderstorms. Um, this is a project that I've been working on for the last uh, few years, actually, and I should probably introduce myself. My name is Joe Loria, and I'm uh, the weekend meteorologist here at uh, WDAF-TV in Kansas City. And I've been here for about uh, 25 years or so doing weekend weather for the Fox station. Yeah, and so we actually, um, I found out about kind of your interest in this topic through our mutual connections with the Weather Social website. We both wrote similar articles um, and that were kind of intertwined with one another. So I wanted to reach out and kind of have a discussion about kind of the number of warnings that we're issuing and perhaps what are some of the implications of that. Um, so if you, do you want to tell us a little bit about your article and maybe how you got interested in this topic? Yeah, so I was fascinated by looking at the number of severe thunderstorm warnings. And uh, within my office, at least, we always kind of felt that there were so many warnings issued. Uh, so we have a very active uh, integrated warning team here in Kansas City. And that's, for those who may not know, a combination of my colleagues at the Weather Service, emergency managers, and um, 
other TV stations, and basically we meet once or twice a year and talk about better communications when it comes to severe weather. Uh, in particular, mostly tornado-related stuff, but overall how we could better uh, how we could better communicate the risk of flooding and basically just trying to keep people alive and safe uh, during dangerous weather conditions. So at one of our meetings a couple of years ago, amongst other conversations, uh, there was a talk about severe thunderstorm warnings, and just kind of randomly I, I brought up the fact that I thought that there were too many warnings for storms that didn't really end up doing much of anything. Mm -hmm. And there were other people who kind of essentially felt the same way, and uh, from that meeting, I was tasked with, well, let's investigate this. Let's let's see if there is something um, to my thought process. And we all have different customers. My customers are my viewers. The emergency manager's customers are their citizens of their community mm -hmm. and uh, the various government entities that they have to answer to. And, of course, the weather service, they kind of are uh, a catch-all. Their customers are a lot of different people, including medium emergency managers and others. So we kind of are all different in our ways, but I just kind of thought to myself, it just seemed to me that there were so many warnings and I felt that people had become numb mm -hmm. to the number of warnings. So they suggested, let's take a look at it. So with uh, with the, the approval of the Pleasant Hill office, I decided, all right, I'm going to take a look at all the warnings that have been issued uh, from our local office here and see exactly what we were sort of kind of up against. And I kind of went through the numbers, and I went through the numbers not only here, but for many other offices around the country. And basically, I was astounded by, A, the number of overall warnings. Now, back in, I want to say it was 2008, uh, here in the Plains, we changed our hail criteria from mm -hmm. three-quarter inch to one inch. And we kept the winds the same, 58 miles an hour. And the hope was that that would cut down on the number of warnings. And it didn't, really. <laughs> um, from 2009 through 16, and I haven't looked at 17 yet, but our local office here issued close to 2,000 warnings. Ooh, wow. And my argument would be that most people paid very little attention to most of those warnings. There are a couple of pretty good cells and some strong straight line event, straight line wind events mm -hmm. here. But I would argue that the vast majority of those warnings were uneventful thunderstorms that might have produced some teeny tiny hail, might have knocked over a tree twig or two tree twigs and big whoop. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of very sensitive to the overwarning stuff. I think tornado warnings still have um, cachet. I think if a person hears of a tornado warning, they're still likely to take action. But I think if a person here, especially in this part of the country, hears a severe thunderstorm warning, they're most likely to not do much of anything. And that's what I wanted to explore. And why do you think that is? What What is the difference between 
a tornado warning and a severe thunderstorm warning? Is it simply the number of warnings or are there, are there other factors that are kind of playing into it? I, I think there are probably other factors mm-hmm. um, involved with that. I think here, since for whatever reason in Kansas City, we really, thank goodness, don't really get that many tornadoes compared to our neighbors to the west and south. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when a person hears the tornado warning, hears the siren connected to that tornado warning, uh, hears their cell phones going off, whether they've subscribed to a service or have an app or whatever, mm-hmm. I still think people take that seriously. But again, these severe thunderstorm warnings, which are a dime a dozen, in my opinion, um, through no fault of the weather service, and I got to mention that, I mean, yeah. they are under a mandate. Um, off the record, I've had numerous conversations with them, and they're like, more power to you. Um, because I think they, too, realize that you know this is probably a case of we're issuing too many warnings. So what I looked at was five years of warnings from 2012 through 2016. I looked at every single warning that the office issued here in Pleasant Hill. And I wanted to see whether or not those warnings or what was the criteria for those warnings. And in the vast majority of cases, it was for minimum requirements, 58 mile an hour winds, which I'll interchange for 60 every so often, and one inch hail. And I looked at the verification of those warnings, which is not great. It's not good. And... um it just seemed to me that there are so many of these minimum criteria warnings issued that perhaps if we change the minimum criteria, if we cut these numbers down, mm-hmm. maybe, just maybe, instead of a person being bombarded by the little logo, the little bug that we call up in the corner of the screen, cranking out severe th- thunderstorm warnings left and right, perhaps if they saw that bug less often, perhaps if these warnings meant more if they had more meat behind them with a higher criteria that maybe they would pay more attention to it. And that's my goal is to get people to pay attention to severe thunderstorm warnings again. And I think that's really where our topics kind of collide is yours being kind of the frequency of the warnings, the number of warnings, and that's kind of the the uh, what's currently or what's happening and then warning fatigue is kind of the the kind of the result and that's kind of the area that I'm interested in and so it's nice to kind of combine them um, especially when one is potentially causing the other so before we we chatted a little bit before and you told me um, a little bit about the history of uh, the the thunderstorm warning and I thought that was pretty interesting so yeah, it goes all the way back. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we just celebrated a couple of days ago the history, or actually the, the inauguration, or the very first, I should say, tornado forecast down at Tinker Air Force Base back in 1948, 70 years ago. Uh, wow. And sure enough, Tinker Air Force Base, hours later, got hit by a tornado. I mean, just an amazing forecast in 1948 when they didn't have this great, you know, core of technology that we get to use now i mean it's amazing and those meteorologists back then were so darn good Mm -hmm. uh with no or very little i should say uh information just very rudimentary stuff so 
you know, the warning history has been, you know, interesting. There, there was a long amount of time up until around 1950 or so that the word tornado couldn't even be used by the Weather Bureau because they were concerned about uh, people panicking hmm. um, about, you know, if they heard the word tornado. So the history of tornado thing, tornado warnings and, and the word tornado is interesting. Severe thunderstorm warnings came about because of aviation. That was the original purpose of severe thunderstorm warnings. And the original severe thunderstorm warning criteria was based on aviation needs. Um, you know, planes didn't want to go through those winds and planes didn't want to deal with that type of hail, understandably. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was ever created by what actually happens here on the ground. Right. Because in the vast majority of cases, at least here in the plains, a 50 or 60 mile an hour wind, it may knock over some tree limbs, small tree limbs, twigs, but odds are most of those winds aren't going to do much of anything in terms of being life-threatening. Uh, One-inch hail, uh, you know, I think you can make a pretty strong argument that, that too, isn't going to do a lot of damage. You could say, well, it'll do a lot of damage to farm fields, to crops, uh, which I totally understand, but it's not as if if the warning criteria changed that we could, you know, move the crop within a half hour's time. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't necessarily buy that aspect of things. What I did learn about all this, one of the things that I've talked to other people about, because I don't know if I've got something here or I don't have something here. Mm-hmm is uh, when I presented this information at a seminar out in Lawrence, Kansas, there were about 300 people there of different uh, thought processes with this. Uh, It just so happened that uh, there were some people here from the Weather Service in Brownsville, Texas. Hmm. And they were very kind and came up to me afterwards because I encourage people to say, what am I not thinking of? Because I know I'm not thinking of certain things about this. I'm just looking at this through my my eyes only. I want other eyes to, to right. look at this. And they suggested to me, or their, their mind process was, hey, look, what about us here in Brownsville? I said, well, what about you guys? They said, our area is... Um, the, the construction is very, very poor for housing. Hmm. A lot of trailers, um, a lot of self, literally self-built structures that if a 60-mile-an-hour wind came by those areas, hmm. they're going to get knocked around pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I had not thought of that. And I said, all right, how about this? Let's think out of the box on this. How about... Maybe not office by office, but maybe rough region Region by by rough region, region, Mm -hmm. you have your own certain criteria. If you don't like what I'm saying, you keep your 60. You keep your one-inch hail. Uh, But for us here in the Plains, where thunderstorms are so common, um, let us give or give us the ability of altering our criteria a little bit. Why does one size have to fit all. Mm -hmm. Up in northern Michigan, severe thunderstorms are not that common, at least compared to us. So you guys keep your criteria. 
eastern region. I got some blowback from the eastern region people <laughs> saying that, uh, well, we've got so many trees and, mm-hmm. and all that. I was like, good point. You keep your, your, keep your 60. And they said, well, we can't do that. We can't have different severe thunderstorm warning criteria from place to place to place. And I said, why not? Well, it'll confuse people. I said, have you seen winter storm warnings? <laughs> have you seen heat Ex- advisories? Yeah, extreme heat, yeah. Extreme heat and, and uh, those High are... Winds, like, yeah, like public unique, winds? Yeah, unique for all these other regions. People could figure out severe thunderstorm warnings if we went 70, let's say, and you kept your 60. Uh, nobody's going to freak out by that. So... Um, I, I think it's an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm, it is. Um, and I think, you know, I had one of my colleagues at the Weather Service, good point, said, well, what about those storms which are, you know, our radar beam is shooting up into northern Missouri, and by the time the radar beam gets up there, it's, I don't know, 10,000 feet up. And he said, you know, basically we don't really know what's going on, you know, below that. I said, fair enough. If you feel that that particular storm could crank out, let's say, 60 mile an hour winds, go ahead and issue the warning. What I'm trying to do is just trying to reduce the overall clutter. That's my goal. So what I did was I looked at all these warnings and I said to myself, what would happen if, instead of this being 58 and one inch hail, let's say we sent, we arbitrarily picked 70 and inch and a half hail. And what I discovered was I could probably cut the numbers of warnings so far down. Roughly, we have about 150 to 275 warnings per year here. I could cut those numbers down to under 30 or 40. And my goal is to try to get those numbers way down so that when something is issued, people pay attention to it. I want to kind of step back and talk about the um, the different criteria per region really quick because I think that is a very interesting discussion. Um, I'm torn personally because one, I can see the confusion not with the public per se, but between offices or if there is like a TV station that's between regions or something that's struggling to to issue something if it may be confusing from that point. But I think when it comes to like the general public, like I don't think they really care or look to yeah. like the criteria like, oh, it's 57 miles per hour or, um, oh, it's 59 miles per hour. Where's the thunderstorm warning at? Um, so I think it, it's 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 something that we should kind of talk about a bit more about, I think. But you have a point. You have a point, I think, about how if uh, a TV, if a TV station has um two weather service offices or three weather service like for right. us we have Topeka uh, Kansas City and and Springfield uh, that we all kind of work together with uh, so it would have to be sort of like a regionalized yeah thing i would think um as the only way it could work back whenever it was 2008 2009 when they switched from three-quarter inch to one inch, they were testing that here in the Plains. And initially it started with, oh, I want to say five or six offices. I might be wrong off on that. 
but the 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 world did not spin off its axis <laughs> when we were dealing with one inch hail while everybody else was issuing three quarter inch hail warnings. Right. So I, I think there's room for tinkering with the formula just a little bit, all with the hope of trying to cut down the number of warnings. You know, we saw in Joplin, and granted this is a tornado versus severe thunderstorm, but one of the big things about that report, the assessment that came out, was that people felt that over the years, the sirens had gone off so many times and nothing had ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um that they had started to become numb to tornadoes, tornado warnings. And that's that's trouble. That's trouble with a capital T right there. Yeah. We haven't gotten to that point here in Kansas City, but um, other places may be getting to that point with tornadoes too, and that's that's not good. This is Mark Jelinek from the What Is It About the Weather podcast with a message to get you weather ready. The spring season is here, and we want to prepare you for spring weather threats. This includes thunderstorms. If you are at an organized outdoor activity, what should you do if a thunderstorm threatens? If you see lightning or hear thunder, it's time to get to a safe enclosed building or vehicle. Even if it's inconvenient or you just have two minutes left in the game, waiting to take action is dangerous. People in charge of organized outdoor activities should have a lightning safety plan. Talk to coaches or event staff about what to do when severe weather strikes. For more information, please visit the NOAA Weather Ready Nation website at weather.gov WRN. So I want to kind of switch topics a bit and perhaps kind of blow up our uh, current watch warning advisory system and just kind of go into an imaginary world where we could where we could potentially okay. build it ourselves or um, just come up with something brand new just to think about. Um, so okay. if we were to kind of get rid of this criteria system, so no more 58 mile an hour or one inch hail hit a button and a warning goes out. If we were to go towards um, something more in line with impacts, uh, which is we're seeing our community kind of strive for these kind of impact-based warnings and that kind of thing. Um, so if we were to get rid of the criteria completely and go towards impacts, my question to you is, or my two questions are, one, do you think this would, this would be a good idea? And two, what would it look like? Would this be a good idea? Um, I would need to... So are you thinking about... When sure. you say impacts, are we what in your mm-hmm. weather world? What would that look like? Would that be a severe thunderstorm warning for, uh, let's say, the header of whatever? Would be a thunderstorm warning for seventy-five mile an hour winds, and those seventy-five mile an hour winds will rip sure. off shingles, will knock down twelve-inch trees. Is that what you're? sort of thinking or what what what's yeah, your Yeah, so I think you're process? hinting on something um which is very important which what is an impact and how do we kind of define that or c- kind of go into Correct. that. So I think this would be a great spot to have like some sort of engineers or um like the engineering community come in and see like when when does a tree snap or like like you said when do 
shingles come off of a roof or and try and figure out like how can we better align maybe better align our criteria with something that actually happens or when we see impacts start to happen um you know it's funny because um (laughs) you know i think about that and then i think that uh, it seems to me that uh here locally we get a lot of impacts from non-severe mm-hmm. thunderstorms. For example, we'll have a storm come through, and depending on the uh, antecedent conditions, let's say, for example, the soils are very, very wet. Well, now all of a sudden, those 40 or 50 mile an hour winds can uproot mm-hmm. trees. <laughs> um, let's say we've got right now um, a lot of our not a lot of our trees, but a lot of our ash trees here are being ravaged by this emerald ash borer insect, killing all these trees. So I've got three trees in my yard that are that are fading fast from this. So uh, when those trees are dead, a 40 or 50 mile an hour wind is going to knock over some serious right. tree limbs. But yet, technically... Sometimes I think that the weather enterprise tries to be mm. all things to all people too yeah. much. Um, and I find it sometimes very, very challenging to say, well, this 40 or 50 th- mile an hour thunderstorm probably won't do much. But then sure enough, you get a picture right. of this dead tree that's been eaten alive by insects on the inside out. And it's capsized on top of the house. And like, well, what the heck? I just think these impact things are, it's just mm-hmm. a challenge, a real challenge. I, I, I'd have to see more about how that would sure. play out. Are you thinking about like something along the lines of what they do with tornado warnings with, um, you know, using words like catastrophic damage and, and um, this tornado may be able to flip over cars or whatever the, mm-hmm. the tags that they more commonly used are you thinking along those perhaps i mean that's one way to go is being able to model it based on other um kind of impact-based warning products that we currently have but i'm just trying to kind of toss it out as like a potential idea as more along the lines of should we should we Mm -hmm. be moving toward more impact-based things versus 58 mile per hour winds well you know i i think there's something to that because really do people know the difference between I can't tell the difference between a 55 mile an hour wind and a 65 mile an hour wind. I mean, I'm not, I'm not Mr. (laughs) Wind guy. Um, you know, if I had, uh, an anemometer in my hand, I could tell you the difference. Mm -hmm. I'm a numbers guy. So, um, maybe, I mean, there, there might be, there could be something perhaps, to that, I had a suggestion uh, from Mike Smith, uh, who just retired from uh, AccuWeather. He did, and uh, he suggested that instead of severe thunderstorm warnings being issued as they are currently issued, he suggested that the ta- or the headline should be a severe thunderstorm. Oh, what do you say? A severe thunderstorm warning for 75 mile an hour winds has been issued for. Mm, so the so to be very, 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 very specific. specific. 
I don't know how to how that would totally work, but I it's a long headline. Uh, it's a long headline, <laughs> uh, but by the same token, you kind of get to the point. But I I don't necessarily know sure. if we're getting um, off this minimum minimum criteria, and that's where right. uh, you know during this time of year. Uh, March, we just had some, uh, when did we have some? Last week, two weeks ago. A couple of severe thunderstorm warnings, um, south part of our area, sure enough, 60 mile an hour winds, and none of it verified. Um, during the cool season, early season, and late season thunderstorm events, most of those events are triggered by minimum criteria severe thunderstorms. And, um, and it also, you know, you get those July air mass thunderstorms that all of a sudden collapse or whatever. You get a 30-second wind gust to 60 miles an hour. Some offices are pretty good about saying, I'm not going to issue it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Other officers are like, push the button. And uh, so you get a severe thunderstorm warning for something that has already happened and won't be happening again. Mm-hmm. So I still think... In my heart, at least, we we need to look at the criteria as a first step, and then look at um, the actual impact, maybe as a second step. It's a tough one. It's it's it it's is. a tough one. And my colleagues will, at the weather service will tell you, it is very difficult to verify these warnings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing if a tornado or a severe thunderstorm rather goes through the middle of a big city you would think mm-hmm. you would get some something from that it's another thing when those tr- severe thunderstorms are out in the middle of timbuktu land yep. and even worse let's say they're happening at night and you know they're calling casey's general store at highway 40 and U highway in the middle of nowhere saying what mm-hmm. is, what's going on out there and they're probably saying not much so it doesn't mean that nothing happened just means that they're having a tough time verifying it so right which if it which then affects what happens downstream they're like well we're not getting any reports but it sure looks good on radar Mm -hmm. let's issue another warning and then another warning. i mean it just goes on and on and on on, on. it's a cycle Yeah. yeah so the other question in this imaginary world so if we were to blow up the current watch warning advisory system and you were tasked with coming up with a new warning system uh, how would you approach warning severe thunderstorms? Would you use what we have now, or how would you kind of recreate the wheel? I would either, A, uh, strengthen the minimum criteria and okay. keep and keep our severe thunderstorm warning label, but let's just increase that minimum criteria to cut down the numbers. Or B, another option would be to add a new type of warning and um, let's just in Joe's weather world let's call it an enhanced severe thunderstorm warning and that would have let's say 70 75 mile an hour winds let's say inch and a half to golf ball size hail plus so that when I'm on the air and I'm doing coverage of all these thunderstorms that have all these warnings that mostly aren't doing anything. And then I see this new quote unquote enhanced severe thunderstorm warning come up. 
I could say, all right, you folks in northern whatever county, mm-hmm. heads up, that storm in particular, that one storm out of all these other thunderstorms, out of this whole squall line that's coming on through, that one particular area looks to be much more susceptible to something much more damaging than having teeny tiny hail or 40 or 50 or 55 mile an hour winds come through. That, as a broadcaster, I would be, I would be very interested in. Mm-hmm. However, the problem with that mm-hmm. is uh, we are right now, the government is going through this simplification process called sure. HASSIM. Mm-hmm. And they are loath to add another layer of warnings when they're trying to cut the products coming out and trying to consolidate them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the flood warning, aerial flood right. advisory, I, I, it gets me a headache just thinking about it. Um, there are too many. So they're trying to cut these things down. So I don't know if they would be in tune with, oh, yeah, let's add another type of warning into the system. Well, I mean, the I think th- it would work. The second I, part of the HasSent project is potentially like revamping the system, which is. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes you can revamp and eliminate things and which they're doing with winter weather products. Mm-hmm. And they're doing now working into it with flood products, which desperately need it. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think that, you know what? Sometimes you could add a little something while you're taking a bunch of whole taking away a whole lot of other things too. Right. Um, just because you add something doesn't make it make your project not as good. The the last thing when I did this presentation initially and I was talking to media, emergency managers and the weather service, we did a poll. And um, it wasn't the most scientific of polls, but um, I asked a series of questions uh, before I did my presentation, and then I asked the same, sort of more or less the same series of questions afterwards. And basically, uh, the questions I asked were, and this was about 150 different people, I said, do you think that your constituents, your viewers, your customers pay attention to severe thunderstorm warnings in their current form? 70% said no. Oh, wow. That was trouble. Yeah. I said, would you be in favor of toughened criteria to eliminate the borderline warnings? 92% said yes. Hmm. That's when I knew I was kind of on to something. Yeah, wow. I said, in the options above... Uh, would you uh, be in favor of changing the minimum criteria to 70 and or one and a half inch hail? That got 47%. A blended approach with this new warning thing that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. That got about 43%. And then leaving everything as is was down to 8%. So I think just... They want something. That, yes. I think they want something. Mm Mm-hmm. I did the exact same presentation out in central Kansas earlier this year, and this was a different group of people. They didn't know me from applesauce. And um, I I did this exact same presentation, and I asked them afterwards what they felt. We were having some Internet issues, so I don't think enough people were able to vote as they wanted to vote. 
Um, and it wasn't the, it wasn't as strong about needing a change, which is fine. I'm just curious about different reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, now once you get out, uh, outside the area for us, like when you're out in Northern Kansas and stuff like that, a lot of those guys, um, you know, they, they want everything to kind of stay the same, which is, Hey, that's their priority or that's their prerogative. I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, but even with what I consider a tougher group of, uh, of an audience, 60% wanted to change. Hmm. So I think there's something to this. Mm-hmm. I'm just not totally sure what, uh, what it is. I haven't done any, you know, super duper scientific research, um, from our, from our viewers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just my feeling that most people don't pay attention to severe thunderstorm warnings anymore. And that's the trouble with kind of the, the area that I'm interested in warning fatigue is there's, there's no way to measure it right now. That's like, right. The, that's I the, mean, how do you measure it? Yeah. That's the problem. Like it's, and it's so difficult to even think about like, is it hazard specific or is it like across all weather hazards? Is it across all alerts in general? Like, does like one person have a threshold where they just get like overwhelmed and just go numb to all alerts in general? So there's just like a lot of theoretical questions I have to go into thinking through this more, which is, which kind of slows down the process because I feel like until we kind of see something of, Oh, people really are numb. Um, it's, it's hard to, to show that like, Oh, we need some sort of change. And how do you, yeah, and how do you figure out are people really, really numb? If you say, mm-hmm. you know, I think if you were to just blindly ask people, first of all, most people don't even know the definition of a severe thunderstorm warning. Exactly. Um, sure. So I'm not even sure they would know what they're numb necessarily to, just if you were to randomly walk up to a person. Yeah. Um, so... It does. It, it it makes it challenging. I just seem to feel that when you issue hundreds of warnings over, let's just say, a six-ish month period, March through September for us, I know if it was me, I'm, I'm, I'm not, how do you pay attention to all of that? Mm-hmm. And when you look at, for example, Norman, down in Norman, God bless them, they, they cover two-thirds of the state in Thunderstorm City down, you know, thunderstorms all over the place usually down there. And they're issuing, I think I my research was close to 4,200 severe thunderstorm warnings over a seven-year period. And um, in three, it was a three-year from 2014, 15, and 16, they issued close to 2,000. And now granted, they cover a ton of territory. But I can't believe that even in thunderstorm-sensitive Oklahoma that those folks haven't tuned mm-hmm. out those warnings. It, it just would seem to be to be human nature. Right. Um, I think if you could just somehow really cut the numbers, and then you would have to do another educational process, which is always tricky. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> You know, saying, all right, so now here's what we're doing. We're, we, we've strengthened the warning criteria again. 
Uh, but when a warning comes out, we really want you to pay attention. I mean, it, it, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely, that's why I'm always looking for different van- viewpoints on this. Um, different ways of looking at it that I, yeah, but Joe, you haven't thought about this. Or yeah, but Joe, you idiot, you haven't thought about that. Um, and that's good. That's, it's very that's, good. Yeah, I like that. Well, the last question that I have is kind of a two-parter, and you've kind of elaborated it on elaborated on it a bit throughout the interview. But if you were to kind of, if this was like your podium where you could advocate for like something operational in the short term, what would it be? For everything, anything for well, for like for alleviating kind of this overwarning or the number oh. of severe thunderstorms. <laughs> you almost got me going on a five-minute diatribe about the GFS model. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would probably say, in Joe's weather world, if if somebody were to come out and say, starting on May first, severe thunderstorms are defined at seventy and inch and a half plus hail, uh, I would pop up bottle of champagne um so what about in the long term are there anything in the long term that you like i guess like the next 10 years that you would like to see that could potentially help this kind of issue i would like to see computer programs and or our graphics have the ability of keying more off the ibw tags at the bottom of all these warnings okay um, so that when they do issue an update to the warning, that IBW tag uh, will update because they do that, mm-hmm. whether on a severe weather statement or whatever. Um, and then somehow, some way, on the air, on a graphic, I could present that information. I still don't have a great way of presenting that type of information without either through a color on the screen, our mm-hmm. computer program could colorize something. I don't know. Uh, but some way so that I could communicate the, the hazard better right. than I am now. Okay. And uh, what yeah. about um, research needs? Are there other, are there other questions that you want to explore or that you would kind of encourage the weather community to look into? I would love to know if others feel what I feel okay. about this. Um, I would love to know from a research side of things, do people, A, pay attention to severe thunderstorm warnings? B, do people even do anything? Mm-hmm. I see. I don't even know if people really do anything when a severe thunderstorm warning is issued. Um, I don't think so. Because I feel I like be most on the people air. are inside when they... Yeah. So there's not much you know, to could, do unless you're like moving yeah, your we car. we could say, or, well, stay away from the windows. Well, yeah. as soon as the trees start bending over in their backyard, they're going to the windows to look at the trees bent over. Yeah. Um. I, I would like to see, or I would be curious to know what reaction people take okay. when, when a severe thunderstorm one. warning is issued. My My gut tells me, very little reaction. Mm-hmm. Very little. Whereas if a tornado warning is issued, what reaction would most people take? I think it, they're going to do something. They may not go run to their safe place right away. They'll probably, as we've heard Confirm. from research scientists, they're going to mm-hmm. look for secondary confirmations yep. and see what Aunt Millie is saying, mm-hmm. who lives four miles away. 
if she sees anything or whatever. But at least they're doing something. Right. Whereas with severe thunderstorm warnings, I think there have just become so many of them that they're not doing anything anymore. And we have to ask the question, like, what do we want them to do? What? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What? What do we want them to do? It's not as if they could run out and hold up the tree. Yeah, or uh, shelter or hide or shelter run their to car the, or whatever. Yeah, from the hail. I mean, by golly, you can't send them down to the basement. Yeah, because if the pro if the criteria doesn't change, you're essentially asking them to go up and down in the basement per county. I don't know, like around here, probably twenty, thirty times per year, and that doesn't even include tornado warnings. Forget it; that won't work. So yeah, that's a, that's another mm-hmm. aspect of this. I, I I'm just curious to know mostly if if anybody else feels what I feel about this. I think there are a lot of people who do, and I think a lot of people in the weather service feel this way too, because um, I've talked to quite a few of them about this. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they would be. But they're not in a position where they could fight the fight, if you will, on right. this. Uh, whereas emergency managers, and that's the other thing, I think, you know, I, I talk about I'm doing a grassroots movement, and right now I'm the only blade of grass out there. <laughs> um, but if if emergency managers want to change, and if they put the bug in the weather services yep. here, um, and if the media is interested in this, and they put a bug in the weather services here, then the weather service, I will say, that they're good about this. The weather service will kick it up. Mm-hmm. And it gets a conversation started. And that's maybe that would be a good first goal is just let's have a conversation about it. Why does it have to be this way? Well, I think that we've had the conversation. So maybe that will uh, kind of spark other conversations. Yeah. Um, But I really appreciate you being here. Do you want to tell others um, where they can find you on the Internet, maybe on Twitter? Yeah. um, So you could uh, if you want to. Google, um, I think if you Google, if you want to read some of this project and, that I put together. And we'll have it on, uh, on our I know website, you've got so, a link, yeah. Yeah, we'll have it But on if you website. want to Google it, if it's just uh, overused, overused severe thunderstorms, and probably my blog will pop up. Um, but the best way of getting a hold of me would be on Twitter, Fox4WX, on Twitter, and also my weather blog, which I write just about every day, uh, fox4kc.com slash joe's blog and it's national joe day so it's all good oh nice yeah i didn't even know that until this morning yeah Yeah, i checked out your blog earlier today and saw the um the one that you wrote that said stormy weather and i promise it's about weather (laughs) (laughs) i typed out that headline and then i was like oh Oh, yeah i forgot about that i'm like the last place i want to go down that road (laughs) (laughs) that was too funny well, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate you talking about My this. pleasure. It's fun as always.
Wow, that was a great conversation. We really appreciate Joe coming out and having that discussion because as I mentioned, uh, weather warnings are kind of the bread and butter of weather communication. It's how we really reach people. Um, all different kinds of audiences from general public to emergency managers to all different kinds of audiences. So it's important that we get that component right when we're communicating weather. Um, so that was a great topic to hopefully open up a bigger discussion in our community about the future of weather warnings and making sure we take into consideration this idea of overwarning and warning fatigue as well moving forward. Hopefully we some good research questions for maybe our community and our audience, our listeners, people interested in kind of exploring this topic further. Before I close out the podcast, I will briefly mention my song of the week, um, which is sad to do without men. But the song that I've chosen this week is called No Excuses by Megan Trainer. Um, it's her newest single. And of course, it's just like every other Megan Trainer song. It has such a great tune. It's super upbeat, but has a really great uh, message behind it. It's very positive. Um, so make sure and go check that out. So in closing the podcast out, you can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype or on our website at weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words, weather and hype, or you can send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. We would love a review um, if you're on whatever podcast app that you're on. If you could leave us a review, that would be fantastic. Um, or just hit the subscribe button. We in really enjoy doing this podcast for all of you. Um, so just hit that subscribe button so that next time we have a new episode out, it just automatically pops up on your phone. You don't even have to do any work to try and find us. It'll just do it for you. Um, Min will be back on the next episode, which I'm really excited about. Hopefully he should have some cool insights from Iceland. Hopefully maybe he was able to talk to some people in emergency management maybe or figure out how they do weather warnings over there so we can kind of get a new perspective. Um, so fingers crossed. That's what I'm really hoping he brings back with us. Um, so I guess until next time, stay hyped. Stay hyped.